Revelation chapter 21, starting in verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there is no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this. I will be their God. They will be my children. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that you've done. Lord, guide our hearts into your direction in this moment as we worship through hearing your word. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. So today we're, we're wrapping up our Revelation series. It seems like just yesterday we started it, and now we're done with it after today. Uh, but I, I honestly hope that this has been a blessing to you. Um, when, I, when I heard this uh, from Matt Chandler at his church, at the Village Church, um, uh, the resource that I used to kind of guide my conversations with you uh, from, the, uh, from behind the pulpit, um, I was really blessed by it. Um, Revelation didn't seem as intimidating, and you would think seminary would do that for me, but it didn't. Um, if anything, uh, when I went through the undergrad degree and we studied the book of Revelation, it made me even more scared of it because I didn't understand a lot of what was going on. But, and then I had to take tests over it, of course, so I had to know the images. But uh, it really spoke to me then, especially now studying it, having to go deeper into it than I've ever done in the book of Revelation. Um, it's really been speaking to me, and I hope that um, you have been blessed by it too. Part of the, the goal and the reasoning behind Revelation was because it's, it's a book of awakening for the church. And I, want, I wanted you to not fear this book because in a lot of circles and uh, a lot of teaching that I've been around, um, not necessarily dad, but other teaching, uh, the book of Revelation was kind of something that you just didn't touch. It was something that you didn't really understand, so it was just kind of put on the other side. It was put on the back burner. And uh, as a Christian growing up in school, I remember fearing the times that, that people would come up to me and ask me a question about the book of Revelation. I'd be like, I don't know how to answer your question. I don't know what the beast with 15,000 wings and eyes all over, I don't know what any of that means. Right? And it was kind of embarrassing as, as a Christian. And so, but then when you would go and you'd read it, when I'd go and I'd read it, I'd be like, I don't know what's happening. I don't, I don't know what's going on. And so I, I'm hoping that you can look at it through the eyes of Christ. 
and that you look at it and it's a, it's a beautiful book that, that deserves attention. But above all, I want you to be aware of the fight that we're actually in right now. To wake up to the spiritual reality of the war and the world that we live in. You know, part of the book of Revelation is to set you free from all of the things that are holding you back from fighting. So I want you to be set free to live your life for Christ, to renew the fight in you and have a purpose for your fight. Now, I've not been on this earth very long, but studying history, what I've seen is gradually the church being more accepting of sin. And because of that, we've become more tolerant of sin, which means that a lot of Christians have lost their passion to fight and to stand up for what's the truth. That, and uh, sometimes what I, what I hear from other Christians today is when they see sin in, in other people's lives, they're like, well, that's just the way of the world. We, we can't do anything about it. It's just the way that they are. And, and I think that is so, it's true, that it is the way of the world for sin. But we can do something about it. We can fight for them. And that's what the book of Revelation is meant to help provoke you to do is say, I'm going to get back into the fight. I'm going to stand for what's true and what God's word says. And I'm going to pray for my brothers and my sisters who are lost so that they can be found and heaven can rejoice in that moment. And so there's a fight to stay holy. There's a fight to stay awake. And there's a fight to go and to actually make disciples but it all depends on if you make yourself available to God. So we have a lot to cover in this sermon. Um, it is very much an overview as we're going through four different chapters. But here's a few things that we're talking about so you can follow along and keep me accountable. If I miss a point, you can say, hey, Logan, you didn't mention this, and then I can go back to it. But it also, you know, you don't have to check your watch to see how much uh, left we have to go because you'll be following along with me. Um, Three things, three main things. The wedding supper, the new heaven, new earth, and new Jerusalem, and the restoration of Eden. These are the three main things that we're going to be talking about today. Now, if you've read ahead or you know somewhat about the book of Revelation, you know that in chapter 20 is called the millennium, which is the thousand years, and then Satan's released and for a time, and then Satan's defeated. We're not going to take the time today to go over that. I'm actually going to move that discussion to our Wednesday night Bible study this Wednesday. Because, no, about 15 minutes in, some of you are going to be kind of looking around because you're getting distracted, and I don't want to spend 45 minutes talking about what the millennium is, because that deserves around 30 to 45 minutes in its own, and I can't do it justice in a 30 to 35, realistically 40-minute sermon while I'm up here. So let's talk about the wedding supper. Last week, we got to the threefold woe for the fallen Babylon. If you remember, they weren't crying for the prostitute. They weren't crying for fallen Babylon. What they were crying for was they lost all of their luxuries of life, and there's no real love for Babylon. Now, to contrast that, in chapter 19, it starts with a threefold hallelujah for Babylon falling. So while the world was grieving over their loss of luxuries, their loss of all of their 
their desires and their sinfulness, heaven was shouting hallelujah, saying salvation and glory and power belong to God, for true and just are his judgments. Evil is no more. Right? The Lord Almighty reigns. And there, there, there's a threefold hallelujah praising God that death and, and, and evil is defeated. And chapter 19, verse 6, starts this wedding scene. And it's an image of a wedding where Christ takes his bride, which is the church. This imagery is uh, used to show the union of Christ and the church, much like a wedding ceremony. Uh, if you're married, you, uh, you, you have that wedding ceremony where the two become one. It's showing this union of the church and Christ becoming one. Now, for a moment, take notice of what is worn in Revelation 19.8. It says, Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Right, so this clothing is something that you would normally see in that culture of being a priest. It is something that is holy. It sets you apart. It, it represents righteousness. And so what happens is, uh, we, we come up to the table of Christ. There's this wedding supper that once this wedding takes place, there's a supper afterwards. And we're invited up into this table. But what happens is us as the church, we're broken, we're sinful. We, we have some problems. And, and we, we walk up to the table, not in white linen, but in sin-stained clothes. Now, if you've ever been on, if you can think back to when you went on your first ever date, or maybe your first date with your spouse or with a significant other, and you, you, you went on that first date. Now imagine that there is a big coffee stain just right here, right, right on your chest. Right? How, how embarrassing would that be, first off? Right? If you had the chance, you would probably change clothes before you went on, uh, before you went on the date. Oh, or maybe it's a very, very important person that you're meeting right, for a, a, an interview for a job or something, and you have this big coffee stain that happened in the car on the way. Right? It'd be embarrassing. And so I think when we come up to the table, we kind of are embarrassed. We're like, I, I, I have all of these stains all over me. I don't really know what to do about it. And, and what Jesus does, and he, he says, here's some clean clothes. Here's some clean clothes. So it's a quick thing to note and remind you of. We don't earn our righteousness. Christ gives it to us. We don't walk up to the table in clean linen with our righteousness Instead, we walk up in our sinfulness and he restores what is broken by giving us the righteousness because of our faith. But nonetheless, we're invited to his table. And, and, it, and it's a great thing because if we had to wear white linen, uh, the clean, bright clothing at the table, none of us would make it to the table. None of us would be there. No one, none of us would be able to sit down, but instead Christ says, no, I, I know you're, you're sin-stained, but I'm going I'm to wash you clean. It's at this table that I think it reflects the table that is found in Psalm 23, where the table is prepared in the faith of our enemies. Now, 
maybe you are more skilled and have more experience. Because I've never been in a fight before, like a physical fight. I could, but I haven't, right? And if you've ever been in a, a physical altercation, we can put it that way, <laughs> a physical altercation, a fight, how, how much of an advantage would you have if you were sitting down? Now, I've never been in a fight, so I don't have experience. Maybe you do. Maybe the chair and sitting down is a good thing. I don't think so because I don't see it in the movies, right? So it, it's probably not realistic. But if you're sitting down, you're kind of setting yourself up for a disadvantage because you lose your mobility, right? All you really got is whatever way the chair is facing. Maybe you can scoot it around a little bit, but you just got your arms, so you're, you, know, you could probably just punch. But if your enemy is standing up and you're sitting, it seems like you have the disadvantage. Like I said, maybe you're more skilled than I am, and maybe Jackie Chan or like Mr. Miyagi, they could probably stand a better chance than I could sitting down in the chair, but staying seated through the whole time. But if there's a whole army of enemies coming after them, they're not going to win. And that's this image of us sitting down at the table is us letting go of our control and letting Christ fight for us. That we weren't meant to fight in the way that we think we are. Right? Most of us, we think that we fight by, by going and going out and punching people and punching Satan in the face. And, and though we can do that, but it's not in the same way that we think. Right? We all want to fight like Christ and come down from heaven with a sword. And, and, but we are called to sit. And as Christ defeats the beast in, in, in chapter 19, as he's fighting our battles for us, he invites us to sit down. I don't know about you, but some of the best conversations that I've had with people is sitting down and eating sitting down and having some coffee, sitting down and talking with one another. What this table does is it draws you in for a deeper and closer relationship with God. That the way that we actually fight the good fight of faith is by sitting down with Jesus and being with him. Now, some of you, and maybe none of you, but, but some of you, I'm going to give the benefit of the doubt for those watching online. Some of you might think, well, people like Becky Coomer, who's over in Lebanon and ministering to all the people and the women that she does, man, she's fighting the fight. And I think she is. I'm not taken away from her. She has great ministry over there, right? You probably think about the missionaries in Honduras. They're like, man, they're fighting the fight. You may even look at pastors like me and say, man, he, he's fighting the good fight of faith. But what I want to tell you is that it is so easy to do the ministry of God and forget to talk to Him. It is so easy to do all the things that you know that you're supposed to do and you can go on mission trips, you can preach behind a pulpit, you can, uh, you can do uh, Bible school lessons, you can... You can uh, 
teach in Sunday school. You can do all of these things, but if you don't sit down with God, if you don't sit down with Christ, it means nothing. You're fighting a losing battle. What Christ is saying, he's like, come and sit and talk with me. He desires this type of connection with you. Now, as you continue on, uh, and this will be more in depth on Wednesday night, but in chapter 20, there's the thousand years of Christ's reign, and then there's the defeat of Satan. And after all of those takes place, uh, if we're looking um, just in order of what John sees, Christ establishes a new heaven and a new earth. Now, what will this new heaven and new earth look like? Once Christ makes everything new, remember he says, I'm making everything new. What is this going to look like? What is our destination if we're followers of Christ? I'm glad you asked. Every tribe, every language, every ethnicity, every culture that has and will ever exist will all come together in this new experience where we will be able to see all of those things and talk with all of those different people, and nothing will be stained by the brokenness of humanity. There will be no sin, no temptation, no death, no pain, no more suffering. You'll never get thirsty. You'll never get tired. How many of you are tired right now? Thank you for not being a Baptist and actually raising your hand. There we go. We got a few. I, I, I know last night um, I, I was working on some laundry because we got back from the summit and I've been kind of putting it off. So I, I did some laundry while Chloe was at work. And our laundry stuff is, is downstairs in the Parsonage basement. And as much as I exercise... I get tired walking down the stairs, putting all the laundry in, loading it all up, walking back upstairs, and I'm out of breath most of the time. <laughs> I'm out of breath. Like, let's just clear the record. Just because I look like I'm fit doesn't mean that I'm fit. So I get tired. And if there's other type of, if there's another type of activity where I'm, I'm using my physical, I get tired. Right, uh, I wasn't going to mention this, but I'm going to now, and I hope you, I don't embarrass you, Charlotte. But um, <laughs> Charlotte uh, brought some corn uh, to our to our doorstep yesterday, and, and so I, I'm assuming it's from your own garden. Okay, right? Working in your garden makes you tired. Right? It makes you tired. There, there's different types of things that make us tired maybe you even got tired walking from your car to in here there's no shame for that but you might have gotten tired or out of breath see that won't happen in the new earth how do i know this because sin won't be there in genesis chapter 3 verse 17 if you remember the story of adam and eve right when they sin against god and god uh, reveals their sin to them walks up to them encounters them in the garden some consequences to their sin. Here is uh, the consequence towards Adam. Cursed is the ground because of you. Though painful, through painful toil, you will eat food from it. That's, that's gardening. You will have to work the land in order to grow food. 
and you will get tired. It will be painful, and it will happen all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. Verse 19, by the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food. What this is saying, what this is giving a picture of is before sin entered the world, God gave Adam and Eve a long list of things that they are to do. They are to, to work the land. And they didn't get tired. There's no mention in the Bible of them ever getting tired until sin enters. Sin enters and breaks down and makes you tired. And so you work for food. You might not physically farm, but you have to work in order to get money, in order to get food, and it brings you down. It, it can tire you out. If, you, if you've ever gone through a long day of work and you just want to sit down and, and just relax and watch TV or, or do whatever you do in your leisure time where you just sit down and you just don't want to move, you, you just want to sleep, that won't happen because sin won't be there. It was because of their sin that work became hard and painful and caused us to sweat. The new Jerusalem will come from heaven to earth with these brilliant jewels and the gates. And, and in verses 9 through, set, or 9 through 27, it gives a, a very good description of it, a good descriptive picture. And I'm not going to go in detail with it, but I love what verse 27 says. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. What this is doing is it's painting a picture of life without sin. Life without evil. Everything that you struggle with right now, everything that is a consequence of your sins and the sins of other people, all of those things will be gone. They'll be non-existent. So when Jesus makes everything new, everything that sin destroyed, Christ will restore. So we'll truly be in paradise right when you see jesus on the cross and he says very truly i tell you to the criminal you'll be with me in paradise this is what he's talking about any sunset that you've ever seen every ocean view every mountain view has only been experienced everything that you find beautiful about the creation of earth as you look around if you go to the to the ocean and you look at that there's just this vast amount of praise that comes out of me when i see how big our god truly is how much of an artist he really is when i see sunsets even here in in pool it they're so much more beautiful here than they are in indiana but i don't know why but it's just the the truth of it and so when i see sunsets here there, there's this beauty, there's all these colors. And what you have to realize is that when you're looking at those views, you're looking through a broken, sinful eye. So imagine how much more beautiful that will be when your eyes aren't broken because of the sin in your life. This is everything that God intended. For us, this is everything that he intended our relationship to be with him like. Everything about this new heaven and this new earth leads to this idea of Eden 
being restored. And so in Revelation chapter 22, verses 1 through 5, I'm just going to read it. I want you to, to hear and, and read on the screens this picture of what John sees. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. Now before we get to verse 5, you can keep it up on the screen. You don't have to take it off. Before we get to verse 5, let me read this again. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. The forehead is the ideology. The forehead, uh, if you remember, that's where the mark of the beast will be. That's where um, the, everything is on the forehead. And it's the ideology. So I want to tell you something that I think is great news. If you're in here and you're a Christian and you struggle with your faith, you have doubts with your faith, you struggle with sin, you struggle with temptation, you have a struggle to stay awake, to stay holy, to stay in the fight. If you're a Christian and you experience any type of wavering of who God is, if you ever doubted that God was in your life in the moment, all these things that we strive for as Christians and we constantly fail when his name is written on our foreheads in paradise, it won't be a struggle. You will always do what is good. You will always know the truth. You will be there. And God will flood your mind. Right? If you've ever struggled with finding God in different situations, you won't struggle with that because God will be in every situation. Augustine is one of the early Christian theologians. He, he has a book, um, and, and in that book, he talks about revelation. He talks about uh, the city of God, and he talks about how our body's natural defenses will no longer be needed for defense and instead will be given up to praise. So he uses this illustration of the liver. The liver and the new heaven, new earth, and the restored Eden will never have to filter out blood again because there will be nothing wrong in our blood. There will be nothing, no pathogen coming in. So there won't be any need for filtering, so that will be given up to praise. Right? All of our antibodies that we have built up over the years, just from all the snotty-nosed kids that we all know and all the people that just don't know how to cough or sneeze into their sleeve, right? all of those antibodies that we've built up so that we don't feel the side effects of what um, pathogens and viruses and bacteria is all in us, we don't need any of that. All of those antibodies will give it, be given up to praise because there will be nothing to make us sick. There will be nothing there 
to make us feel down or tired or weary because God will be our life. This is the kind of life that we'll have at the end of all time. And it will, it's so hard to explain because right now we, we live in a broken world. And so it's hard to even grasp for myself and be, to be able to communicate to you what it looks like in a world that is not broken. But it's more than a better life with better sunsets and, and, and no more sickness or death. It's a life in the undeniable presence of God. There'll be no more guessing of if God is with you because he will be there. There'll not even be the slightest doubt of if God is for you, if God is there for you, because you will know and you will experience him and you will see him everywhere that you go, forever and ever. The description of Eden being restored is no mistake. What Adam destroyed in the Garden of Eden when, with his sin, Christ restored with his death and his resurrection. What Adam destroyed, Christ restores. As I, I'm, I'm wrapping up, I promise. There's a quote uh, from an individual uh, that I, I tend to d disagree with a lot. But I really like this quote that he gives. He says, If you could have heaven with no sickness, with all the friends you ever had on earth, and all the food you ever liked, and all the leisure activities you ever enjoyed, and all the natural beauties you ever saw, and all the physical pleasures you ever tasted, and no human conflict or any natural disasters, could you be satisfied with if Christ were not there. Now I know the church answer is, of course I won't be satisfied if Christ is there, but does your life reflect it? Does your life reflect that Christ is the most important thing in your life? Does your life reflect that you would be satisfied only if Christ is in your life? Could you honestly say that your life reflects that Jesus is the most important thing and it's more important than all the blessings that we receive from him? I'm not sure that I can say that every day of my life. And so I know that there's at least one other brother or sister that's with me that they're not so sure that they could say it today, sitting right here in this place. But I know this that despite our sin-stained clothes, despite us being sometimes more satisfied with what the world offers than what Christ offers, despite our struggles, despite the struggle to give it all to Jesus, to be satisfied with Christ alone, despite all of that, Christ still invites you to the table to just sit with him and be with him, to be in his presence, even though the enemies will come on all sides of the table that Christ has prepared for you to take you out of the table, to destroy you, to distract you, will you sit with Christ and follow him? I won't be caught up in the busyness of the world because you know, uh, you know why the world praises all the busyness, all the, all the activities that, that we do. They call it hardworking. They call it caring for your kids, but they praise it because ultimately it's keeping your eyes off of God. So don't allow busyness to take away
from what God is wanting you to do and what Christ is inviting you to, to just sit at the table and be with him. Now, we are, we're constantly trying to get up and fight alongside of Christ. But we cannot forget to go and just sit with him. It's like Mary and Martha. Martha's up there. She's doing everything. She's, she's everywhere. She's doing all these things that are needed to be done. But she forgot to spend time with Christ first. Like Mary. You know the most powerful weapon that you hold today is prayer. Just sitting with God, sitting with Christ in prayer. Now it's not always viewed that way. When things get left in our, rough in our life, we tend to try everything else that we possibly can before we go and pray. Right? Oftentimes, and I've had it in my life, and I, it's, a, it's a working progress for me too. But oftentimes we, you can take off the verse. I, I didn't notice it was still up there. Oftentimes we, we sit back And it's not until it's not until we give up on trying ourselves that we come to him in prayer. What Christ is calling us to do is say, don't worry about all the stuff. All the stuff is necessary. Right? Everything that you see in that story with Martha is necessary. But what, Mar what set Mary apart was that she was like, before I do any of that, I'm going to sit with God. I'm going to sit with Christ and just be with him. And so make it a part of your life that you are so available to God and, and available to receiving God's will that you are more willing to sit with him before you go and do stuff. That you sit with him in prayer before you go and do your ministry. Before you just sit with him and you sit at his table and you pray to him before he tells you to go and to make disciples. That you're always constantly being with him. You see, we're invited to this table because victory is not ours. It's because victory is his. If victory belongs to the Lord, when we sit at the table, when we follow him, we are rewarded with heaven and with him. Not because we did anything good, but because he is good. So I ask you today, will you sit at the table with Jesus? Because he's inviting you in. Christian, non-Christian, he's inviting you in to sit with him. So will you sit with him? One last thing. There's an illustration on Wednesday night at the summit. Uh, that I heard it was uh, Pastor Carl from Atlanta. Um, he, he said this, and, and it really spoke to me, and, and so I, I think it fits well. Maybe it doesn't, but I think it fits well. So I'm going to use his illustration that he used on, uh, at the summit. A bald eagle primarily hunts fish in the water, and they wait till the fish is close to the surface of the water, and they come down and they swoop it up. If you've ever seen videos of that, it's really, really cool to watch them just swoop down and grab and snatch up the fish. And so just a few things about 
eagles. Their grip strength is incredible. Uh, it's anywhere from four to 500 PSI, pounds per square inch of force in each talon. And so when they grab this fish with both of their talons, there's 800 to 1,000 pounds per square inch squeezing on that fish. Now to put that into perspective, that's 10 times the average human grip strength. That's twice as strong as a dog bite, full force dog bite. If you really want to have another visual, and this is probably more graphic, but to break a femur bone in your leg, it only takes 160 PSI. And so it's an incredible grip strength. Now bald eagles weigh about 12 to 16 pounds and they can only carry a fourth to a third of their weight before it starts pulling them down. Now what you, what you can find if you look it up on, uh, on Google you can find that eagles sometimes grab a fish that's nine or eight pounds and it starts dragging them down. That they, when they come down, it starts dragging them down and what happens is it drowns them. Now there's, a, there's more of a myth that when they, when they grab on, that, eagles, that bald eagles can't let go, that they are locked in, but that's not true. Instead, they, they choose to not let go of the fish that they are trying to carry. It's because they're stubborn. Like, if I can just hang on just a little bit longer, if I can fly just a little bit longer, they're not great swimmers, but they think if I can just swim just a little bit closer to shore, then I will make it and I will have a feast of a fish much larger. And what brings them down is that they hold on to something that they were never meant to carry. They were never designed to carry. And so i got to ask you, what are you holding on to that's keeping you from soaring with Christ? What are you holding on to? Are you holding on to your comfort? Are you holding on to your preference? Are you holding on to your sin? Are you holding on to your own life? To where you just grab it and you're holding on and you, and you choose not to let go. What Christ is trying to do is saying, let go of that and let me take care of it for you. I think what God is wanting you to see in the book of Revelation and through this series is that if you're following Christ, you can let go and He will provide the fish. He will, he will tell you to cast your nets, but you will bring up all of the fish of His blessings if you just let go. Or what God is saying is, Christ is setting you free from what's holding you down. Whatever is keeping you from the fight, whatever is holding you back from staying in the fight, he's saying, let go of that. You don't need it. It may look appetizing. It may look like it'll feed, it'll feed your soul and it'll feed your soul for a long time, but the reality is, is that it's holding you down. Christ is saying, let go of it. Let go and come to me. Come and sit at my table and I'll wipe away your tears. He's calling you to come closer to see that the older, old order of things is gone, but that with Him, at the end of all of our days, we will experience a new heaven and a new earth and we will know, there will be no more pain, no more suffering, no more death, no more fear, no more evil. This is the victory that we will inherit.
This is what Revelation is all about. It's not about all the images as much as it's about Christ over sin. Christ victorious over evil. And what our life will look like that is what Christ always intended. And I look forward to the day when we walk in those pearly gates of the new Jerusalem, of the Eden restored, of the new earth, where I will thirst no more. Listen, the Bible is very clear about what a follower of Christ looks like. He calls us to worship together, to encourage each other, to fellowship with one another, and to act like the body of Christ. Which means that, yes, there are things to do, but while you're sitting with Christ, you can do those things. And if you're not doing those things that God has called you to do, then you're sitting back and you've chosen, you've chose your side. If you're sitting back and you're not doing ministry because you just simply don't want to, because you feel like you're too busy and you're not prioritizing God in your life, if that's you, you've, you chose your side. And it's not God's side. You chose what side you sit on. And so I think if you can watch others do ministry and not do anything yourself, you just watch other people do ministry, then you've chose the side of the beast and you have no love for Christ. You might love all of the blessings, you might love the community that he brings, but you don't love Christ. Christ calls us to a deeper relationship so that we are prepared to go and do something greater, greater than ourselves, greater than what we can ever accomplish on our own. And if you're holding on to your comfort, because following Christ isn't comfortable, if you're holding on to your comfort, let go of it. He will give you peace in place of your comfort. If you're holding on to your preference, your preferences and what you want your relationship to be with Christ, what you believe that Christ is. He's saying, let go of it because I have something greater than your mind can even comprehend. I will give you all of me. Let go of what's holding you back. Let God do something greater in your life. So would you sit with him today? Heavenly Father, May the words that you've spoken today resonate with us as a church. That as a church, we will not stand idly by, but instead we will go and we will do what is necessary to build your kingdom up. But we will first sit with you and build our own relationship with you. Lord, this year of revival is about us waking up to the reality of the war that we're in. It's about us sitting down with you and letting you transform our lives and our hearts and our minds and our spirit so that when we are sent next year to go, we never forget to sit with you first through prayer. We never get tired of the revival of all the sinfulness that is in our life that we are getting rid of right now and that you revive us consistently so that we will always go and reach. Lord, as you invite us to your table today, 
May each and every one of us gathered in the room and, and gathered online. May we all just simply come to you and sit and say, Lord, I am here. I am available. Here am I. Send me. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.